Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Abby Rolf is a registered mental health counselor intern in Florida in private practice. They specialize in serving adult trans and gender diverse siblings and proudly serve the entire LGBTQIAP community, consensually non-monogamous people, and those who practice BDSM and kink. Their website is healingvillagetherapy.com. So Abby, I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Yeah, we were just talking offline and I was saying how I feel like we've we've been in these similar circles on the Facebook for many years. <laughs> and it's always nice to get to know someone at a deeper level and, and have a real candid conversation with them. So you know that our listeners have gotten the formal introduction of you, but please tell me and slash us who you are, what the group is you run. Tell us all about Abby. Sure. So I, you all know, I'm a registered mental health counselor intern. So for those who don't know what that means in Florida, that means I'm in licensure purgatory. So I finished grad school, but I can't yet apply for independent licensure. So I run a private practice and my practice operates off of a policy very similar to hate has no home here because I wanted to create an intimate space where folks felt like they could be safe and they could bring all of themselves into my practice. Starting my student internship, I was at an agency that specializes in supporting the LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia community. And what I was noticing with my clients who were adult and transgender or gender diverse was that all of them said, I wish I could have started earlier. I wish my parents would have seen this earlier. I wish, you know, there was some kind of support for me when I was younger. And um, the, the trans services division manager at the time, who's an out trans man and now a very dear friend, we came up with the idea of creating a group for transgender and gender exploring children ages 2 through 12 and their parents. His background is in adaptive phys ed, so he could be active with the, the little ones running around and I could take the parents aside. So that way I could have a candid conversation with them because if I could get in with them early, then maybe their children wouldn't need to see me or someone like me later on. I love this idea, the concept, the the vision that you've brought to life so much. And I'm, I'm resonating with it from the sense of I do what I do so that teens and families don't have to experience what I went through when I was younger. And so it is near and dear to my heart to hear you say something similar about your own experience. Before we dig into your group, you know, I'm going to ask, tell me how you got here. Like what's something about you from your, your high school years or your history that really motivated you to, to be who you are and the therapist that you are today? Yeah. So around about the time I was 13, I got interested in body art and body modification, you know, primarily tattoos and piercings, but also the ritual and the history and the culture behind body modification. And so I got pretty deep into online communities. And by the time I went off to my undergrad, I was an editor for the BME uh, body modification e-zine wiki. And I actually went to undergrad because my parents told me, Despite my very deeply held desire to own and operate a tattoo and piercing studio, that I had to 
grow up and go to university and get a job. So when I outgrew the stupid stage, I would be able to be a productive member of society. And I felt very unseen and unheard and that I didn't belong by and large with most people, except the body modification community and being able to find community, find chosen family in that way, being able to explore my identity and all of the components of that really helped me understand the value of chosen family and creating those intentional communities. It's so beautiful. You have such a way of putting things, Abby, that like it speaks right to my heart. (laughs) And I'm hearing within what you're saying, you know, that piece of feeling like you don't belong and even the the subcultures where you found your place and your your chosen family. And that's very like similar to what I see as the group process. I call my groups the Island of Misfit Toys. A yes. lot. All the people that don't belong out in society come together and they really have found their place and their home. Tell me what that looks like as it relates to your group. And the group is called, I want to not mess it up, but there's a junior in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's transparent junior. Okay. And the, the name idea came because there was already a transparent group for parents of trans teens and trans adults. And so this was our junior version. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. So the beauty of the group is that families come in, it's a drop-in support group. Mm-hmm. So it's not closed. It, there's not a set curriculum. Folks come in at all different stages. Kiddos come in at all different stages of understanding and having such a broad range between two to 12. Our youngest actual group member was five. They're getting to see that it's okay. I can be myself. This is what I might, you know, my experience might be like in a few years. And the parents get the opportunity to connect to where we have parents who've been there and done this and they've advocated and they've paved the way and they're able to kind of take other parents under wing and say, it will be okay. It's going to be difficult, but it will be okay. And finding their own connections where I just kind of get to sit back and watch the beauty unfold. Yeah, there's something that seems, you know, at first, I think, confusing about having such a wide range of ages in one group. But then the way that you explain it makes so much sense is that the different levels of lived experience can help each parent or each child learn, like, who am I and how am I navigating this? And and what does this look like at a different point in the journey? For sure. And we know there's so much therapeutic value in play and bringing kiddos together where they go off in their own area and they play or they're doing crafts. And all the while they're kind of talking about their understandings of different things or what their experiences are like and sharing those across developmental areas or stages. And the parents get the opportunity to just be there together without having to worry, without having to censor themselves, knowing that they're with like experienced folks. Now, are they, are kids and parents in the same room together? Are you separating them out so they have their own spaces? What does it look like? Like one group, if I were to be watching it, what would that structure or lack of structure be? That's a really great question. And things have shifted a lot. Um, We started the group in 2019, so pre-COVID. And when we started out pre-COVID, we would all start in one room. We would do introductions and icebreakers and welcoming new new folks. The kiddos would go off to another group and the parents would stay in, in the other room. So we had time where we could be separated out. As things with COVID got a little more uncertain, we ended up taking up a really big, almost like gymnasium style room or conference space 
And the kiddos were off in one corner and the parents were off in another, which was good for safety, you know, being able to kind of monitor. And the kiddo noise kind of bled into the parent sector. And I think that sort of, it threw off the vibe, not sort of, it it definitely threw off the vibe because there was always kind of that wariness. And then as COVID progressed, we decided to move groups online, which has been really difficult. And I know most folks have really struggled with having groups online because we do have such a vast age range. Unfortunately, we don't really have a good way to break out into separate spaces, especially for single parents who are also monitoring what their kids are doing or how their kids are navigating tech space. So the group has been kind of low attendance, unfortunately, through COVID. And we're looking forward to when we can get back into in-person, start welcoming folks back into space and creating that space where folks can really connect, really connect, like be in the same energy with like, uh, like folks. That makes sense. And I can imagine it would be a challenge, let's say, for a five or a seven-year-old to independently be accessing their Zoom. I mean, I know it is. We have kids doing this for school all day and it's challenging. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's been one of the biggest challenges to having group by Zoom is because kids are Zoomed out by the end of the day. Parents are Zoomed out by the end of the day if they've been working from home. And the last thing they want to do is sit for another hour and have a conversation and have to feel the deep stuff and dig into that. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious about, well, lots of things. Where does my brain want to go with this? <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking about, again, like the child ages of this, of two to 12, and then thinking about how would a parent identify that they and their child are the right fit for this group. I'm wondering like at what point in their questioning or understanding or recognition process, would they be like, oh, this is what I need and this is going to be helpful. And you know, it's, you've seen a vast array of folks who've reached out for support from the group, from parents whose kids have come to them and kind of made statements that they're exploring their gender or they're not quite sure. And then we've had parents who are like, I've noticed some things, my kids tend toward this, and I want them to have the space to explore themselves. And so we've seen a vast, vast array of of the spectrum between being proactive and wanting to create that space to being reactive and, oh my gosh, I know that I need the support. I know that my kid needs this space. And actually, when we started the group, I was prepared. I had all my materials, like I had all the educational stuff. I had all the the studies to debunk uh, the rapid onset gender dysphoria. Like I was ready for parents at every stage. And it was such an incredibly beautiful experience that the parents came in and were like, no, we just need to connect. Like the resources are great, but we really just need other people. Right. I'm so glad that that's happening. I think I've been in spaces where it's been like that and then in spaces where it's not been like that. And so it's nice that you can hold that, you know, container for these parents that want connection and support and to not be alone in this experience, which I think is so important too. as like a parent in general is such an isolating experience. And so it's, it's nice to have that space. Sure. And I think oftentimes we don't realize that when a kiddo is exploring their gender or they transition in any kind of way, even socially, the entire family is in transition. The entire family is in flux and shift and rediscovery. And I think oftentimes that gets lost for the parents that, you know, we get excited and kind of wrapped up in helping the kiddo or even adult explore and find their authentic version of themselves. 
And sometimes I think maybe the family gets left behind kind of feeling isolated on an island. Yeah, such an important point to make. And I think I'm sure makes the parents that you work with feel very seen in this process and in what they're experiencing. I certainly hope so. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious about the kids now. Like, are they just running around? Is it more like child-centered play therapy type setting? Are there ever activities that are, are designed for them in the process based on what they're coming in with? So because it, it it's drop-in, sure. it's semi-structured, right? So we don't do too much. Um, like I shared, my co-facilitator's background is in adaptive phys ed. He's not a clinician otherwise. So he really tries to do a lot of like it what it what looks like play therapy, right? Because they're doing activities, they're doing fun stuff, they're painting, they're drawing. And at the same time, he's facilitating conversations with them about what do these words mean to you? And how do you come to understand them? And has anybody said anything that makes you think anything positive or negative about them? So it's just beginning to plant the seeds of we can have these conversations. This is a safe topic and this is a safe place. And some of the kiddos absolutely run with it. Um, and it, for several of our families, it's almost like a built-in play date that they know is coming. Sure. And we're really fortunate that many of the families have connected outside of the group and have become those natural social supports for each other. Which is so important. I've also found that when you put kids together and give them just the, the normalizing opportunity to say whatever they want to say, that it just in itself becomes a really powerful experience. Absolutely. Yeah, that it's okay to say whatever you're feeling here, whatever you're thinking here. I mean, we, we kind of make a joke out of kids say the darndest things, but from the mouths of babes comes truth that's unfiltered and unadulterated by all of the socialization and expectations that comes with aging. Absolutely. I want to cry now, Abby, because I'm just thinking about the space that you're offering and, and just like giving permission to all of these people who show up to show up as who they are without having to put on any kind of pretenses about who they need to be to be accepted. And I'm curious what that's like for you as a group leader and your felt sense of that. No, I'm going to cry. I wish that my parents would have had and been open to the same kind of space when I was younger and exploring my identity. Because I look at the way these kiddos are linked up with like-minded peers and they are seen and they are heard and they're believed and their identities are trusted and how absolutely powerful it is to be able to sit back and witness that and to have the parents in groups saying, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time and the holidays are coming up and I don't know how I'm going to navigate other family or we're having trouble at school and seeing other families be able to say, yeah, we're in it too. Can we share what's helped with us or do you want us to just, you know, be here with you? And it's so powerful. So absolutely powerful. And to just to just be able to bear witness to their journeys. It's so profound. It's amazing. It's everything, really. And I'm so thrilled that you're offering this. I'm also curious, and I don't know if you can answer this, but we'll we'll talk it through. But like if you can gauge the importance to the families that you work 
with in terms of having a group with leaders who have lived experience as trans people. Like we have an LGBTQ group at our center that's run by a queer person. And oftentimes something that will come up is like, I wish that I could just meet a successful trans person. Like, I just want to know parents and teens will ask that. Like, I want to know what you know, what's in store for me? And and can can I live and be successful like this? And the answer is yes. But uh, I'm, I'm curious, like how much that comes up as a point of, of importance in the group that you're running? It comes up every time. Every yeah. time somebody wants to come to group, every time a new family comes to group, and we both introduce ourselves as being out trans adults. So that way they can see, oh, it does get better. We hear the message, it gets better. The kids hear the message, it gets better. But being able to see out trans adults and we're also, my co-facilitator and I are also on the board of directors for our local PFLAG. And so being able to offer that space where we're co-facilitating other spaces for people to come and see, for families to come and see, yeah, it might be a struggle for your kid, but it can be okay. And here's how you can help them get there so that they can thrive along the way and not just survive and exist. Right. Amazing. Do you have a favorite group moment or a standout highlight? You know, of course, protecting the confidentiality of your members, but something that that makes you like, yes, this is it. This is why I do this. Yeah, actually, there was a moment where we had a parent come to group who her kiddo was 12 turning 13. So on the, the outside of our age range. And we were so incredibly privileged to have some experienced family members there whose kiddos were in like the seven to 10 range. And we noticed there was some initial resistance on the the new parents' end because it was like, well, your kiddos are so much younger. How can you possibly relate to my preteen? And as they talked and as the hour went by, it was almost like they melted with relief because there were so many shared experiences and so many shared themes and so many shared struggles. And they could sit in their grief and they could sit in the loss of their expectations and they could sit in the wonderment of what their kiddo was experiencing with families whose kiddos weren't in the same age range. And that was okay. And they were so welcomed and they were just openly accepted. And I think seeing that sometimes is almost more powerful than seeing the kids' reactions. Yeah. Because we, we know that, that that'll have a direct impact on how the parent sees the child, treats the child, and opens their arms to the, the kiddo's own journey. That's so beautiful. And I'm thinking as you're talking about just the word connection is like, that's what it really comes down to is that they're finding a place they're connecting. And that feels so important in in this process and in the human process. Absolutely. And I think one part of knowing that both of the group facilitators are out trans people is that they know we're, we're pretty protective of our group. Sure. We're pretty cagey about inviting new people and how we operate within spaces and took a field trip to a local aquarium with the group. And it was really great that the parents could see us with their kids in public and how we kind of like protective parented them even out in that space to make sure that their kids felt safe and seen. Yeah. And themes that run throughout what you're doing, safe, seen, secure. I'm now wondering more of the logistical piece. If it's a drop in group, is it weekly? Like when you pre-COVID, how big was attendance? Give me some of the details. Sure. So pre-COVID, we actually did pretty well. Around the holidays, of course, it dwindles. We were um, we started out with monthly. 
And we were seeing around four or five families each time with one or two parents, one or two kids. So a pretty decent turnout. Um, And right before COVID started, we had had the conversation of opening up to twice a month because the group is free and it was sponsored by the organization where I was doing my student internship. We kind of had to navigate that within their budget. Um, And of course, having people there within the space and, you know, operations folks for the cleanup. So early on in COVID, we did try to do twice a month where one group would be parents and youth and the second would be just the parents. Unfortunately, with COVID, folks were zoomed out. So it made it really difficult. But when new folks were interested, they would reach out to my co-facilitator and let them know, hey, here's what's going on. Clinicians in the community would refer folks to our group so they could reach out to us when they felt ready and we could kind of take them on that journey as much or as little as they were willing. And I think that's one of the important pieces about it being drop-in was it was at their own level of resistance because we don't want to create an unsafe space by having a parent come in who isn't ready and who's going to challenge all of the other parents because you've been down that road already. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like an important part of the, this, almost like screening process is, is allowing them to enter on their own time and on their own terms. Are there any resources that you use? I know you said that first group, you came very prepared and then it just kind of organically unfolded from there, but is there anything that's like a helpful resource when you're working in group form with this community? Absolutely. So resources that I always provide to families to kind of go enrich their experience is genderspectrum.org. There are recorded sessions. There's all kinds of resources. The Family Acceptance Project has some spectacular guides out for families with folks of all ages who are within the LGBTQ plus community as a whole. PFLAG has some spectacular free downloads and we are always encouraging folks, you can buy them online if you want to, but you can download the PDF for free and just encouraging them to connect further with local communities. So if that's PFLAG, spectacular. If it's another group, spectacular, but continuing to build their connections all while they're continuing to help their child build community and chosen family. And that's the big piece of what we talk about is the importance of being able to connect with like identified people because being queer or being trans in this case can be incredibly isolating. And far too often I hear from trans adults, I've never met another trans person in person. Yeah. And if we can alleviate that in childhood, if we can normalize the experience of meeting other people of all kinds of flavors, then hopefully that won't be the same case for folks as adults. Such an important message. And that family acceptance project, we use that those materials often in our groups. There's a lot of great printable things, Mm -hmm. like families really enjoy those materials. For sure. And of course, the Trevor Project, right? Yeah. You know. Of course. Goes without saying. (laughs) If somebody wanted to get started running a group like you're running, what would you say are their first steps in preparing or, you know, getting something up and running in their practice? Very first step, if you are not a person of lived trans or gender diverse experience, non-binary, genderqueer, seek that professional consultation first. We are not a community to learn on. And there really are nuances of our marginalized experience that you just have to learn before you take on working with the community. Otherwise, unfortunately, professional harm can and does happen. So 
also then connecting with local community because community resources exist in most communities, whether it's PFLAG or a local gender center, kids are getting care somewhere. And maybe that's reaching out to local pediatricians and saying, hey, this is a group that we're offering. But also figure out what do you want that group to look like where we structured ours as more open and drop in? Do you want it to be more structured? Do you want there to be a curriculum? What's going to work best for you? and for the vision that you have for the kiddos and their families. I'm hearing you say be really intentional and be mindful and do your due diligence before you decide to support others. What an eloquent way to say what <laughs> my train of thought took me in a circle. <laughs> no, yours was eloquent as well. I feel like this podcasting thing is just doing therapy, right? We're just, we're just recapping what we're saying to each other. <laughs> Reflecting, I'm here for it. Exactly. Yeah, the, the intentionality piece is so important. And I know that people want to support the trans community. And there's some really great folks out there who are doing great work and There are also folks who are seeing the trans community, especially trans kids, because the need is so great as a community to be capitalized on. Mm, That feels icky. It feels very icky. And unfortunately, we're seeing it happen pretty regularly. And even in groups that I'm part of on Facebook, seeing clinicians make comments or statements about the clients that they're working with. And there are those of us with lived experience who are going, ooh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So starting out with that intentionally, intentionality, with the mindfulness, the awareness, the cultural humility, right, really does put you in a great spot to set a good foundation. I love it. Such an important message, important items to really consider before you decide to work with this population. Abby, you are amazing. I am so thrilled that we got to connect on this podcast. Please tell people where to find you if they want to refer to your groups or really learn more about you and your work. Absolutely. So my website is healingvillagetherapy.com. You can also find me on Facebook. My business pages are Abby Rolf, M-A, and Healing Village. And Abby is A-B-B-I-E, and Rolf is like golf, but with an R. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. Thank you so much. Hey, groupie. Thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.